I'm Keith. And I'm Emmeline. And you're listening to the Creative Education Podcast. Today's guest is Nigel Osborne. Nigel is a composer, teacher and aid worker. He has been described by The Guardian as one of the UK's best kept musical secrets. Nigel has pioneered methods of using music and the creative arts to support children who are victims of conflict and who have post-traumatic stress disorder. joining us this evening and coming to speak to us on the Creative Education Podcast. We're really appreciative of your very valuable time and for coming to discuss creative arts in education with us at the moment. But um, I wonder if you would like to give a little introduction to yourself for the listeners and just um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, okay. Well, I'm Nigel Osborne. Um, and um, I'm a musician, uh, a creative musician, um, and have spent quite a lot of my life making music, um, but also in education, and also in things related to music therapy. I'm not a music therapist, but I've spent my life on a kind of parallel journey with music therapy. Um, one of the probably most important things I managed to do in that area was to develop some methods for helping children who are victims of conflict and if I have one thing that I would try and try and lay claim to some knowledge of it's working with children in conflict. Um, this work has taken me to many different places um, and indeed the first uh, place that I developed this particular kind of work was in Bosnia-Herzegovina where which you Emily know very very well um, but it also took me to Kosovo to Chechnya it took me to East Africa, uh, to the Middle East and Southeast Asia, a little bit of South America, um, following this pathway of, you know, what we can do. It's funny, it's, um, it is following a pathway. Um, it was as if something was predetermined um, in a way that this approach using music to help children who've been damaged by conflict was a kind of need in the world that then, as it were, led us on. Uh, we didn't have to go looking for it. It came, took us you know, by the lapels and led us forward. So um, in a way, that, that's been the most important pathway. And of course, as a, as a composer, creative musician, I remain active a great deal in the theatre, opera, um, and um, all sorts of music. I've even recently been the Beatles arranger. Um, so I've kind of gone across most of the most of the experiences of being a musician. Um, and so that's probably all you need to know about me. Yes. Well, it's not even, you've been everywhere, I think. I've met so many people. Nigel, when I was um, telling Keith a little bit about you, I said, oh, we could speak to Nigel for hours and hours on a podcast. <laughs> we would never run out of more a interesting whole series. things. <laughs> yeah, to say. But I wonder if we could... I wonder if speaking about the children and children coming from areas of conflict, if we could link that back perhaps to the UK and Scotland and think about our ways in working with, you know, we're not an area of conflict, but, you know, have a lot of children and particularly at the moment with post-traumatic stress and who have experienced something very traumatic. And 
I think it would be interesting to explore and speak about the ways that we can use the arts um, to help these children and use them with these children. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's spot on. I mean, I mean, um, yeah. and I, I, I've been involved in that. In fact, it's taken me in the first phase south of the border, sadly, but it was what happened. Um, I had been in touch uh, with uh, the authority uh, in, in England, the, the health authority, that is, has led, led trauma-informed care. It's a different issue in Scotland because this is a national policy, which is very nice, uh, uh, but it means that we don't have such a thing as a lead authority. And so I was actually at the beginning of the crisis, uh, the pandemic, I was contacted by Tees Esk and Weir Valley um, Authority. Uh, their chief psycho lead psychologist, clinical psychologist, is a lady called Angela Kennedy, who is also closely connected to work in Scotland. And she said, look, what we need is the experience of you know, people who work with trauma in different situations. Um, so in, in fact, uh, the, and, and that's how I ended up volunteering for the NHS. It was an, an invitation, what, what can we do? Uh, and there is a need, you're absolutely right, because if we look at the figures globally, and I've been pulling them together, we're looking at in most countries of the world affected by COVID, we're looking at 50 to 60% of people in some form of stress, just over half the population. 30% of people in depression, and 20 to 25% actually showing some symptoms of trauma. Um, and so, uh, uh, so indeed there is a challenge and trauma-informed care might be one of the ways through. So, um, uh, so, so that, 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 that is definitely a need. And um, how, how does this answer your question? I believe that from working uh, with the the the, the um, uh, health services, um, it's become very clear that um, this is a mental health crisis as well, and something that the services don't really have the capacity to deal with, um, and they know they don't. And so, in many conferences, and I've been talking to pediatricians, child psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, and everybody has the same view that the creative arts might be a very important way through. The creative arts can offer people experience, solace, comfort, contact, connection, all of the things we know about that may be just the thing that could tip the balance in our favour in, in the situation. So I do think that um, the creative arts um, have a huge role to play in looking after mental health. And I think it's something that probably goes across services. So it's something that is a, is a joined up thing between education, health services and social care. Uh, uh, and, and that's the way we'll have to deal with it. And I very much hope that, you know, we can start pilots in Scotland. It would be the logical place to do it. Um, uh, and um, uh, as I say, one of the problems for me is that is, is there's a very positive point that my area, trauma-informed care, is already policy. And so there are hurdles and there are things to be got through to enact here that didn't have that problem down south. <laughs> Just got on with it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but that's, that, 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 that is the problem that we have. Um, but it's mm -hmm. a good problem to have. So it means is that if we can get it moving in Scotland, then the superstructure is there. So yes. 
Uh, so it, it really is, is a case of, of getting moving on that uh, as a kind yes. of movement, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it seems a shame, you know, I know Keith and I have both faced this problem at the moment where you know that the creative arts and being in, in group music making and anything, even music therapy would be so beneficial at the moment, but you're not allowed to go into the school. You know, there's then this drawback. We've, of, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? Yeah. On, even on this podcast where we, we've said, you know, even as even as adults, we use creative arts, whether we even know we do, we use them all the time to regulate our mood and to, to boost us when, when we need, you know, we, we read books and we watch television, we experience film and we go to live shows and we listen to podcasts and, and you know all these other things that are part of the creative arts and and i'm not sure that necessarily there's enough connection that everyone the general public would realize that that's what they're doing with those things yes, yes. And, and also as emily said we have a a problem in that um the conditions of the pandemic mean that we can't get together in yes. the world indeed uh, but, but i think we have there are ways around it and um one of them is we can um, as it were, increase the power of this medium we're on at the moment. Um, uh, uh, one way, and we already have the technology, I mean, in Stanford, there's a new technology called Jack Trip, which re- you know, removes latency. In other words, you can have rehearsals live. I mean, we've got, we've got there with that. And there are, in, there are other alternatives too. It's just a case of getting people to know that those alternatives are there and to use them. And there are many other things like, you know, um, there are ways in which quiet singing can become loud singing. How about, you know, um, um, uh, theatre mics? Um, uh, you can set up a child for about £10 with a mic. Uh, uh, whereby the quiet singing can turn into wonderful sorrow, you know, groups of, by using the technology. technology. And then another thing is that uh, I've been developing therapeutic technologies using music, and this is the time for them. So I invented something called X-System, which is a model of the musical brain that can predict the effect of music on mind and body. Um, and of course, so, so can a good music therapist and even better. But the point is that it would, we don't have enough music therapists in the world um, to categorize the tens, hundreds of millions of tracks that everybody around the world listens to. So we have, we have to automate it. Uh, but we found that we can automate it. Um, and so that's another way is we have technologies where we can, through streaming technologies, I've been talking to um, Anglia Ruskin today and we're working on, um, yes, um, uh, Alex Street and, and York um, there. Um, and um, you know, and I'm also getting in touch with Connie Tamino about it as well. Uh, we're um, looking at at ways that we can use these technologies, remote technologies, and this is not just for pandemic time. These can be useful for us at other times. You know, we, we need our creative arts technologies sharpened up and ready um, uh, to, for use. Um, so um, uh, uh, that, that so there there are ways through. Um, uh, and uh, and you know as we were saying, there is the, the problem is that uh, we've got to get that message across to you know, it's, and it's funny because everybody knows it's the answer. You yes. never get anybody saying, "Oh no, no, that'll never work." No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, but that's the answer. It's a, but but there is no there seems to be no mobilisation network. Um, for, so for example, um, you know the Westminster government is. Um, has a, a social prescribing policy um, and I've been trying to talk to them uh, but actually it, it is now 
in some kind of organizational exercise. I mean, nobody's having the conversation, what can we do and how can we do it? Um, uh, which is, is the crucial conversation lock thing. So I think we have to do it to ourselves. I think that we have to start a movement um, uh, and, and just do it. Um, uh, it's, um, just get moving and, and we do it by content, by, by, by area-based work. And, and, and Scotland is good at that. The local authorities are still quite joined up. Um, uh, and so it's not so very difficult, you know, through the chief executive of the Scottish local authority to be in constructive contact with health, education and care services. And what we do is we offer them a package. We will offer you trauma-informed creative arts care throughout your education, health and care services. It's gonna cost very, very little because we're not greedy um, and we're giving the te technology for free so you don't even have to pay for that um, and you know and we can set you up with a thing that will uh, and the other the other very important thing is is in doing this is that in education I'm, I've just been doing this course for teachers in Dorset which has gone well um, and one of the reasons it's gone well is we're not asking teachers to do any new tricks we're asking music teachers, for example, to value what they do, um, to understand what it is and to value, and understand is too patronising, to value what it is in what they do that can have positive effects on children's mental health. And it's very straightforward and very clear what you can do. Um, and, uh, and it can be implemented. It requires a little bit of technology, a little bit of re-emphasising what's already in the curriculum, not much, not changing the curriculum, not changing the program, simply focusing, introducing one or two things from music therapy that are safe to introduce to education. And you've already kindly done that for us in, you know, with um, a kind of simplified and made safe guided listening processes. Um, uh, but you, you know, they've got lots of things like that that we can do, um, uh, uh, small things that, that, that can, can you know, make a big difference in a short time because we don't have to retrain anybody. We have to activate them. Mm -hmm. um, I know. I wonder if we should, for that kind of the um, transitional listening and maybe speak a little bit more about that for anybody who doesn't, you know, know what that is and the idea of um, soundscapes. I, I would always call them soundscapes where we're listening, um, but transporting ourselves and really listening and I think as well, that can be, yeah, you're right, Nigel, so easily implemented in other ways. We were speaking um, to somebody else, actually, who spoke about even going for a walk and active listening and how, yeah, the you know, the music it. around us, yes, could be so powerful. Yes. Um, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, um, and so also it's something there again that we already have. Um, it used to be called music appreciation uh, and it died and it deserved to because it was too boring and children needed to be more active but it's actually come alive again and it's called transitional guided listening um, that, we, that we, we, we learn to listen and, um, uh, and also learn to process through listening our emotions and our thoughts um, uh, which is what the music therapy experience can offer. Um, 
but it, 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 it doesn't have to go, it's something you have to be careful with because that can go in, as you know better than I do, into rapidly into slightly dangerous territory. <laughs> um, uh, and so what we have to do is, is help teachers to say, okay, it, it's safe up to here. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, go that far. So uh, interesting then, if we're talking about that, if, if there is a, a primary school teacher sick listening to this right now, what can they take from some of the things that you guys are talking about? What can they take from that therapeutic process or background and apply to their teaching practices? What can they do right now? A great deal. I mean, um, um, how long you got? <laughs> I mean, uh, um, uh, a great deal. If I could just uh, give an overview, because I think mm -hmm. that, that something like a guided listening equivalent would form part of a, a bigger bit. Uh, first of all, um, if we're looking at mental health issues, particularly trauma, which is probably the most dangerous of the things that our children are facing. Um, uh, there are certain ways that we can look at it where simply physiologically, simply biologically, um, trauma tends to raise the heart rate of children. It tends to disrupt their movement repertoires. Uh, they can become either hyperactive or sluggish. It affects their endocrine systems. It affects their breathing. And these are all things that music can help children to process right now um, uh, and tomorrow in the classroom. And what it means is through looking, and there's a little bit of discussion required for this is, you know, one, one would, uh, anybody wanting to do this, I'd love to have a chat for half an hour with her. But, it, you know, there are very many things we can do with music to help children regulate their bodies. And it's a case of choosing those musical exercises, the rhythms, the pitches, the engagement that help in those things. And they're things we do anyway. So it's not a big leap. For a, and for a primary music specialist, I know there aren't many left, but for those that are still around, easy. But even for your average primary school teacher, not so very difficult. And then going on to the psychological things, you know, trust, communication, um, towards building, you know, there, there are musical exercises where we can, with cognition, we can, we can fight trauma. Um, there, are, there are hundreds of exercises that we can do, that every teacher can do. Um, right the way through biological, psychological, to the psychosocial and social things. Um, there again, that gets more difficult and we can't be together in the way that we'd ideally like to be. It doesn't stop us from working with those values. Um, so there are, there are a, a, a huge number of things that we can do. There's a whole enhancement to the, to the existing curriculum and to existing practice. And it would take very, very little. I think it's not a matter of training teachers. It's a matter of activating teachers, giving them the confidence, no, actually, this is good. This will help the kids. Just trust it. Trust. We could put trust in music and it will help the children. And that goes for other creative arts too. So it's a very simple thing that we can, uh, we can do. So yes, people could do it tomorrow. And, and if we had a pod podcast lasting an hour and a half, I'd very happily say, okay, guys, let's roll our sleeves up and do it now. Let's prepare for tomorrow's class. You know, um, do it right now it's not difficult i wonder well is there a do you think a short example of something you would be able to give us nigel just one activity perhaps yes focused okay. on yeah yes yes um yes absolutely um um children um with trauma um very often 
have problems with rhythm time in their bodies. Um, mm -hmm. It's to do with dysregulation of physical systems and mental things. And getting in control of time in an optimistic way is very important. Um, so I'm going to do a little exercise that I do that helps some of the most brutalized children in the world. I'm working with Syrians in the Bekaa Valley at the moment. Um, and I'm going to teach you something that I work with them with one of their own rhythms. It's called uh, uh, Baladi. And it goes like this. Dum, dum, tak, dum, tak, dum, dum, tak, dum, tak. And you join me when you want to. Dum, dum, tak, dum, tak, dum, dum, tak, dum, tak, dum, dum, tak, dum, tak. Back. And also we've got a lovely counterpoint because we've got latency at the moment. So, um, and then we're going to actually fit, make that physical. So we're going to dum dum. And then we're going to do some filling in. And then we're going to put those onto instruments. And then if you know, a little bit later, we're going to sing with us as well. Uh, uh, and what we'll have done is we will have offered the children the safety of a rhythm that repeats in time, putting it into their bodies, so embodying it, and helping their minds deal with time in a secure way. Yes, this beat is coming next. And the effect of this on children who are really traumatized, who are all over the place, is incredible. I mean, um, we, you know, if ever you want to do this, we, we could show some films. Um, uh, uh, this, is, this is the kind of thing that I, I would um, ask. And, and I would also take um, teachers through, you know, a musical story. How, how can we think about who we are and what we need and what we feel through music? Um, and uh, I never believed that would work. Um, when I was working, I, I start, first of all started using it, I was working in Palestine with traumatized children. And it was a wonderful lady I worked with, I don't know if you remember her, somebody called Sheena Boyle. She's, um, she was a great grandmother and former head teacher and counselor from Presswick in Scotland. Um, I was working with Sheena in, in the West Bank. And the Sheena said, can't we try something? And I, I wasn't sure because I, uh, I felt because of language, my own it's not that good and and you know because of keeping it safe while not having <laughs> language and, but anyway we started and it worked tremendously well the children loved to travel in the music in their thoughts and found great release in it and so i would be doing an exercise of that kind though i would actually give it to you to do it i mean because you're you know the expert in this and you do this beautifully uh but uh, you know that that would be another item for tomorrow's list um so and that's not a million miles away, as you say, um, Nigel, from what a primary school teacher would be used to doing in their everyday um, mm -hmm. planning, that idea of, of you know, using storytelling. It's, 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 yes, it's not miles away. Yeah. And knowing that it's worth working on these things, you know, mm -hmm. dum, 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 tak, dum, tak, um, it's worth getting right. And don't be afraid to repeat it. That's important. Um, um, and, and then so. you put the instruments there, make the sound beautiful. Teach I think instruments, yeah. what you said about it, um, 
the idea of, of of comfort and predictability and and that repetition of that beat and then what you're talking about now where you can then grow that into something else but it's really familiar and they know what's coming and i think that's just really powerful of that that um pro process that you're talking through yes uh, absolutely and it doesn't have to be syrian i did that because it's, it's but it could be pushed available we could be you know we could be da -dum, da -da 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 we can use Scottish rhythms and music. It doesn't have to be. Uh, um, I just chose an example because its effects were sensational, were shocking to me. Uh, and who uh, think I've seen it all before and found out I haven't. Um, uh, so yes, these are things that are in everybody's vocabulary. Uh, so it doesn't take major training or continuing professional development stuff. This is this is you know. Um, uh, a, a session um, with follow-up, with backup, with support, because then you have, you have to come and say, no, that's fine, because people say, are you sure that's all it is? Yeah, that's all it is. That's absolutely fine. Carry on like that. Um, it needs that little bit of care. But the resourcing of it is, is, is not huge. And if one were to begin with um, an area-based approach, have a team that focused in one place, implemented it, and this is the sort of thing that keeps itself going once it's implemented. You know, you've got over the uncertainty stage, you need mentoring to give people the confidence. But once it's been going for a few weeks, it'll keep going. And, uh, and I, mm -hmm. I just think, Nigel, even though um, teachers might be, or, you know, practitioners might be uncertain of, you know, saying, oh, is, it, is that it? Is that all we're yeah. going to do? I'm sure as soon as they implemented it, they would see, oh, yes, this is very powerful. and working and I think it's once you're actually with the children and implementing something that you really appreciate it and value it yes I think it can be diff difficult because um I think teachers um you know can find creative arts to be quite intimidating I think there are a lot of teachers who feel that they are either not musical or or not expressive, not creative. And so it, it, it becomes like a, um, an invisible wall for them that the things on the other side of the wall we just don't do. And um, that, that in itself means that that bit is lacking. And it's not because, as you say, it's not because they're lacking training. It's, a, it's, a, it's an internal self-confidence thing that I think can be the, 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 the barrier. What's nice about this is that I think the things that we ask them to do the most helpful for children are the ones that have the least barriers. Um, uh, uh, we're not wanting to do fa fancy counterpoint or, you know, uh, uh, polyrhythms and things. No, we're doing simple things that everybody can grasp. Um, and and they're most powerful when they're the most simple. So in a way, we've got that off. And also, I found in doing this work that a mixed, I mean, to, to, to appeal also to teachers' minds and hearts and minds. Um, so I show lots of films of how this does work with children and they can see the effect and see, actually this would be rather nice for my kids to have this. Um, so they can see that it works. And secondly, um, also the science is important. And you know, so I can, you know, we can show changes happening in the brain when a certain activity is taking place or changes happening in the chemistry. Of the body we can show that um and uh you know the the so literally some of those things we can show in real time um and so there's no doubt about this this is changing us this experience very fundamentally 
And therefore it's logical, if we do the right things, we can make the right changes. Um, we can solve problems and help people through. At every level, it's not just the way we can affect the body, it's how we can affect self-respect, self-confidence. There's nothing that can give children more self-confidence than the creative arts if they're taught well. If they're taught badly, they can take it away. Uh, uh, and I suspect that some of the problems we have with some, some teachers feeling barriers about this are times when perhaps creative arts has not been taught to them so very well. Um, uh, and then we're coming to teacher training as well. Um, and issues of that kind. Um, and uh, it, 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 that was a, a bit of a loss because I can remember um, before the days of the, I, I was doing teacher training when there was the old certificate. I began, I was a school teacher. I did music therapy and, and, and school teaching when I was younger. Um, and in the old certificate course, uh, we had time to actually give every primary teacher the confidence to play and make rhythms and sing. I taught them all the guitar. Every one of my school, general primary school teachers could, play guitar, um, you know, could accompany a song, you know, and, and more than the three chord trick. You know, I made them read a little bit as well, you know, so that they could develop. Um, so, so a little bit, that needs a little bit to come back into training. I don't mean scrap the degree courses. It's excellent that teaching is, 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 has a mandatory degree status, very important. But rather that within the courses that there is room made again for the kind of hands-on human skills that make work in the classroom work. Yes. And this would be a big candidate, a prime candidate, you know, arts and health. Why don't yes. we have an arts and health curriculum and teacher training? And, yes. and it's so simple and it's so beautiful mm -hmm. and people love it. Yes. You know? uh, yes, and they have fun, yeah, participating yeah, yeah. themselves, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you've taken down language. that wall. Yeah. Mm, yes. So it's um, this is something that we, you know, we we have to do, and um, uh, I hope we will do it soon. I mean, you know, maybe this conversation will lead to something. Um, what we're looking for is a local authority brave enough to take this group of mad people you hear talking at the moment, Ross, <laughs> yes. to very efficiently and very cheaply and very well uh, to create trauma-informed care curriculum in health, education, and care. We'll, we'll leave a link and they can sign up um, yes. and just get We did the pilot. I mean, well, the, the reason why I'm, I'm this is, is that we're very nice with, with, with um, the Tapestry Partnership. We did a, uh, a very nice sort of pilot of this kind of Motherwell, which is North Lanarkshire. Um, and, you know, we learned some, some things didn't work and some things did, but um, it showed that such a thing could work and indeed from that experience we can make it work 100 times better next time anyway um but um uh, it, 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 there is a start in this and and, and it's an area-based approach and joined up approach joining the service together and um, so what we've been talking we're talking about primary teachers but we also need to talk to social care people and health people because that has to be joined up um and uh, and so maybe your creative arts teachers are in touch with the pediatricians and child psychiatrists. Maybe we make a team of contact. Um, you know, not to you know spy on kids, uh, but rather <laughs> to, um, uh, to to pool our knowledge of where we are yes. um, and how we can deal with it. Um, and um, and so on. And we'll need. 
And it does seem so obvious when you're talking about it. Well, you know, when we've been talking before to other people, and, and I think generally in our conversations, teachers about cross-curricular education and, you know, everything in those those Scottish E's knows are listed under a heading and they belong to that heading. And, and actually, they don't belong to that heading. They're all cross-curricular things that intertwine among each other and, and are are greater than the sum of their parts when when they cross cultivate and they were, what you're talking about is that next step again is that it's not just education it's all the other bits too that yes and it's all in curriculum for excellence yes it's all there um uh, uh curriculum for excellence wasn't a bad shot um, what was wrong with it was that there was not enough work on the details of implementation how do you actually do these ambitious things the things that it set out to do are all the right things. And actually, they all fall into what we've been talking about. We are talking the curriculum for excellence this evening. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, Even when um, we were, you were uh, giving an example of some, oh, the transitional listening, I think probably because I've spent so long the past week looking at the curriculum for excellence, <laughs> E's and O's, putting them together. I, in my mind, I was ticking some of them off, like I will become more aware of my own feelings. I yes. know how to relate. And, all you know, and I could see, yes, just how they were. No, yeah. no I mean, maybe we'll save curriculum for excellence. Who knows? Um, uh, <laughs> because that was a great idea. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's visionary. I remember bringing, you know, when in the early days, curriculum for excellence with Tavistry, we brought over people like Howard Gardner, you know, um, intelligences, and the father of cognitive psychology, Jerome Brunner, um, 90 years old, came over. Why? Because they were interested in what we were doing. And all of these kind of, you know, you know, you know J.F. Kennedy's advisor in education, Brunner, you know, Howard Gardner, you know, one of the greatest innovators of education walking the planet, came and said, curriculum for excellence is very good. So uh, there's nothing wrong um, uh, with it. It needed more work on, uh, on implementation. It needed more work on joining up and, 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 and doing things like we're proposing to do now. This is how, if you want to, you can do it. And in such a way that nobody feels that their originality and their personality as a teacher is in any way undermined. Uh, this is what we want to present are things that people change and adapt, you know, for themselves. What we're offering is confidence, you know, and activation. Yes, this does work. Stick with it. You know, and please do it. Um, uh, and, and so, it, it, no, it, it, there was no contradiction with curriculum for excellence. Absolutely the reverse. No. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is I've always... I don't know, admired your way, Nigel, of just doing, you know, we can walk in, I don't know, to a room full of 100 people, 100 children in Bosnia, or we've been in India, or even in, when we're working in the school in Edinburgh, and just start doing, like you did with the rhythm, or mm. singing, and how quickly an atmosphere changes, and how quickly everybody is engaged and together. And I, I think that carries over into what you were saying about the course and an educating teacher is through the doing, not the explaining. I know we could sit and explain activities, but as soon as you have done them, your confidence is built. Or even when I was studying with, with D. Isaacs and on the Music in the Community course, so much of it was practical. Yeah. And in doing those activities, 
you, I think, learn so much more and it's confidence building, yes. No, I think that's the way to work. And also in this particular case, when we're discussing how we contribute to health, there is a bit of science too. But it's not talking about educational values. It's talking about the endocrine system, the autonomic system, the heart, mm -hmm. our muscles, you know, our consciousness, our breathing. Um, yes. Those are the things we're going to talk about as well as doing. Um, so it's a different kind of knowledge um, that maybe is part of a, a new kind of world we can build in education. I mean, you know, sometimes, usually in human life, you know, good can come out bad. And it seems to me that the terrible pestilence of COVID and everything is done to everybody and harm them. At the same time, if we are smart and wise, we can drag some good things out of that. Uh, 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 and, and I've seen a big change. I've seen a a big change in attitudes I and mean, in terms of our integration with medicine. I've seen in the last months uh, the work I expected to take a decade, which is nice because I'm an old guy. So the fact it's not going to take a decade really <laughs> gives me, you know, it's, it's a big help um, uh, and um, gives me more time to do other things. And um, no, so there is a, um, uh, there was a, an atmosphere uh, where people have realized that and, and, uh, and have seen the importance of the arts. Um, uh, uh, you know, they, they can see that. Um, uh, and, and already by many health professionals, it's seen as one of the main hopes and answers. So we have to, to press ahead, but it's been created by a negative situation. Um, but we have to act, nobody's going to act. Only we will act. Um, nobody's going to act. Um, it's too politically frozen at the moment as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, by the way, I'm not blaming the Scottish government in one bit. Um, I'm blaming Westminster um, for uh, for a kind of, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, I mean, the, the most wishy-washy political climate for defining things I've ever seen. Um, so right. we just right. get off yeah. There's so much split focus. There's so many things going on, and there are so there's so um, so many things in the media as well that even just you know as as the average person on the street, you're carrying so much around with you. It's interesting when you're talking about um, about stress and trauma, and you know actually the amount that just the average person is now carrying around with them, thanks to what's being kind of shouted at them from every direction, is is a whole other thing. So it's a time. I mean, we we can't count on political structures. I think we can count on local authority structures. Uh, and I would have the confidence that the Scottish government would back such, you know, if, if there were authorities coming forward wishing to do this, the, the government would back this, for sure. Um, uh, and I think that's the way through because it's, it's too fragmented at, at other levels. And, um, and we have so many, um, you know, upheavals to deal with. Um, uh, we have another, you know, them uh, 31st of December. Um, uh, we still don't know exactly what that problem is. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, and all sorts of things like that. Um, so it boils down to that we have to act. Nobody else is going to. And political structures are not capable at the moment of carrying it. Um, and the NHS can't do it because it's overloaded. Um, I mean, uh, I've had a lovely collaboration with them, um, but they're not going to be able to make the change. Uh, they're going to support the change, <laughs> uh, uh, but 
yeah, yeah, they don't have destruction on the money, but it has to come as a as a kind of from a kind of NGO place, I think. Um, uh, you know, a small or independent organization places where where the change is going to come that that kind of thing. Yes, and I think what we're speaking, you know, and what Keith and I as well have been creating was create way is not just for the children, but it's and what we're speaking about, Nigel. It's to empower. It's to empower everyone, empower the children, but empower the practitioners and the teachers as well. And it's, and yeah, and I think you've really hit the nail on the set, head by saying it's not to undermine anybody or anything. It's really to support what's already in place and to be able to achieve things through the use of the creative arts and able and to do That's really so. why we wanted to do this podcast too, is to, is, you know, yeah. to start building a community and pulling people together and and, and drawing mm-hmm. attention to to the fact that you're not the only one out there who feels like that or who who is striving for that, I think it's that's why we wanted to to talk to people like yourself and 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 really you know hold up a mirror to what other people are doing and and, and let I, them see I, that it's more I widespread than they would think. I think it's really great thing to do, and it's a, it's a good way to build a community too at the moment. Um, and, and there's another aspect of this which is uh, for the arts themselves. Um, uh, the performing arts uh, have faced a degree of annihilation, right? Big time. And, yes. uh, and, uh, 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 and nobody knows how far the repercussions of that will go, how far, how quickly it will cover, if it recovers, if it will. Um, but what we're talking about is a new place for the arts as well. It's a new location for the arts. Not a replacement, because what we do will be no good if we don't have concert halls, clubs, opera houses, theatres, cinemas, um, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 this is the, li- the lifeblood of what we do. But on the other hand, um, I think this in terms of, of, of the life for an artist, um, the idea that part of an artist's life might be devoted to helping society look after its mental health is not a bad thing. Um, uh, uh, because in a funny way, most artists, in, uh, in order to be who they are and their life experiences, tend to develop sensitivities <laughs> and, and awarenesses uh, that might well equip them, you know, for a certain level of operation in that respect. Understanding when people are down, um, you know, um, uh, understanding, you know, when people feel defeated. It's um, it's interesting because I think that um, society <laughs> in some ways already views us as, you know, this group of tortured artists in some ways. You know, I think that's traditionally in terms of art history, <laughs> well, perhaps a primary school, you know, the first artist we, we learn about is, is Van Gogh and, you know, what the horrible journey he's had and, and his loss of ear. And, you know, I do think that there's a little bit of an image of that anyway. So it's, it's um, absolutely the right step or, or the next step that you know people with an understanding of that and who have developed all these coping mechanisms and these ways of expressing themselves in order to process that would pass that that skill on yes it's a it's a very you know being an artist is you learn resilience uh uh you know and i think was it odin von horvath said you're you know you're not a real artist if you haven't seen your professional or your career creative life die at least twice you know, <laughs> haven't been reduced to dust and nothing you know and had to rebuild yourself so there's a certain thing that we can do um and i think it's also in the history of art and human beings i think that 
human beings created art and music in order to process their feelings. Completely, totally agree. In order to actually deal with this strange thing called living, um, where we're just given a little bit too much awareness, you know, to an uncomfortable level of consciousness that makes life problematic for most of us a lot of the time and yet through art we process our consciousness uh, we celebrate our moments of existence you know we reshape the world in our in the way we would like to we make beautiful things um and we make beautiful relationships you know because and in some ways we allow other people to see how we feel too I yes. Suppose. Uh, yes which is the beginnings of art therapy because exactly art, yeah exactly therapy we we can share our feelings through art and um and sometimes that can be very helpful both in terms of understanding the feelings of someone who's suffering but also vice versa how someone is suffering can take some really good energy you know from a, uh, an artist who's prepared to share good energy with them um and uh, i mean i feel emily for example in our work with you know trauma in various parts of the world that's probably been the strongest dynamic it has not in our absorbing, diagnosing the pain of the children and offering strategies. It has been offering our good energy. Okay, come on guys, we can do this now. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, um, and everything, all of the, you know, what you were saying about different artists and them being able to help in a movement, you know, of, of giving back and helping others. But it's almost through the process of becoming a musician or becoming an art, we have learned those skills i think of empathy and being like you said being able to see when somebody's feeling down and that's what you want to impart to other people is the ability to be able to do that through the use of the arts and i think yes that you're right and that is yeah definitely on our different journeys what has been yes a sharing of energy as well yes yes, yes. we've spoken before as well about um as soon as we start having a conversation with other artists, how much you have in common. Yes. Because of that, interpreting the world around you thing and yourself through the world around you and through the art that you make or, or you know, experience. It's, it's really interesting, the process of having gone through, even just going through making this podcast, the, the different people we've spoken to, how similar their brain is almost when you get to know them. Yes, yes, yes. I think there is a, uh, yes, there is a kind of you know, creative brain, which is everybody's brain. Uh, and if we look at it more broadly, being an artist is that you have chosen to explore that part yes. of humanity. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you any different from anybody else. That bit's in everybody. And, um, and, and yes, and, and a role of an artist can be to try to encourage and liberate that in people, in other people, in their everyday lives. Um, I think it is a duty. And that takes us right back to the therapeutic question, because once you You've been able, hopefully, to get somebody moving creatively. They have already for themselves tools to look after themselves. Um, so it's not just the messages that can pass through art from one person to another. It is the tools you give people to look after themselves and explore the creative parts of their own minds that they all have. It's called being a human being. Um, and, um, and artists are the ones that have volunteered <laughs> to take this um, weird path. It's not a particularly easy one, 
If you haven't no, done it, you didn't know. It's not the easiest to pass. Uh, 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 I mean, for example, I'm in my 70s and I've tried to live that path. And my God, it was tough. I mean, I, I can look back <laughs> and say I've, I've you know, certainly, to say I have regrets are ridiculous. I feel very proud and privileged and happy to live the life I've lived. But my God, it was tough. Um, uh, but I feel that some of those toughnesses have, uh, uh, have helped me to help other people too. Oh, For yes. sure. And I think you'll have helped so many people, Nigel. But I also think your life as an artist has been completely extraordinary. I, I don't think there's any other way to describe it and just to think of all the people you've met and helped and shared what we're speaking about with all around the world. It, um, you have truly embodied the artist who is, yes, helping others through their art. Yes. Very kind of you. I feel very lucky. Mm -hmm. To, uh, um, to have lived the life, or to be living the life I am. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a great privilege. Um, and um, and if, if it did nothing, I mean, it, it, there are many ways in which it failed. Um, and uh, no, many, many, many ways in which it failed. Um, I could have been a better composer uh, and many things like that. But what I'm really proud of is that even though I'm not all that good a composer, I'm not a very good therapist uh, and other things, nevertheless, I'm not a great technologist, but I did show that you could put those things together and they could work. I mean, so that, that's the thing, the thing I'm proud of. Um, not my any particular accomplishments, but rather the putting of it together and saying, guys, yes, you can do that. Uh, don't think that, you know, and, and yes, if you're an artist and you want to be an artist, yes, there is part of your life you must hide away and be selfish. Yes, um, the, there are th times, and particularly when young artists must, you know, um, uh, you, I do not want to invite them to become aid workers or what have you. Um, I want them to live in their private universities and, and explore what they need to. Uh, uh, but uh, on the other hand, so there is a part that is you know, different, but what I wanted to show people that, that there are times in your life where you combine those not to the detriment, you combine it to the enhancement of the things that are being combined. Um, and it is possible to be an artist that does other things. And that's really very important for, for Scottish and British society. Um, and it's probably more of a problem for British society than for Scottish society, um, because there is the image and the idea of the, the artist in, in, in this intensely Philistine, previously militaristic society of a bit of a joke, um, a bit of a wuss, you know, um, all of these things that we're supposed to be, um, which is fine. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, but the, the, this, this, this view, and the other, the other stereotype is a lapdog on the bourgeois child. There are various uh, stereotypes mm -hmm. artists put into. And what I would love to do is, 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 you know, in my lifetime is get rid of that for future generations. Mm. <laughs> I would like to trash that and say, no, no, an artist can do lots of things. Um, yes. So, uh, and some of us, you know, who turned into aid workers were braver than soldiers. We had no flak jackets or helmets or guns. You know? And in other words, you know, we, we, we faced life at its fullest and, and we're here to tell the tale. Um, so I'd love, to, I'd love for art to, to, to uh, and it's not that art needs to grow up, art's very grown up. Society needs to grow up to be worthy of its artists. <laughs> yes. and, uh, 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 and I'd love to assist in that growing up process where they could get a little bit of a different attitude to what we can do and what we have to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we used to have 
big groups of volunteers coming from, like you're speaking about Nigel, from the university over to the camps in Bosnia. And, you know, I think I must have been 18 when I first came um, with you and I'm 30 now, so it was 12 years ago. But I definitely think it's completely, you know, it shaped my life and changed the way I really thought, I think, about the arts. And I know that's perhaps more intense than what we're speaking about, but it made a change to all of the music students' lives or in other volunteers who came to experience, I don't know, yeah, sharing their art in this way and composing. We were always writing a lot yeah. of music, yes. And it comes so back to... For anyone listening, it might be might be nice for the two of you to explain a little bit about what that was, because I, I know a little bit about mm. what it was that you went to do, but the listener absolutely won't. So I think it would be really nice for the two of you to just tell us a little bit about about what that experience was and what it was you were there to do and, and how you went about that. Yes. Nigel, you... Okay. Um, well, <laughs> what happened was that um, uh, I'd been teaching in Edinburgh and at the same time, I, I was part-time at Edinburgh University for a long time. I was part-time teacher there and part-time I was composing and doing aid work. And during the war in Bosnia, I was working in uh, uh, there during the war and, and, and did not dream of inviting my students. It was the wrong time, too dangerous um, on the wrong, uh, absolutely wrong. <laughs> anyway, I, I was working there and developing programs. And there came a point as the war ended where it became clear that some kind of input from peers, other young creative people would be great for the teams I built up there. I built up teams of young people helping children. Some of them were ex-soldiers, some of them were you know, people who'd been in isolation during the war. Um, and, and so that part of the project had got to a point where it needed that kind of input. And at the same time, the courses in Edinburgh, the community courses, had developed and matured to a point where I knew that the students would be able to fulfill that would be able to be peers. And don't forget the shooting was more or less over. So it was, <laughs> but I have to, not completely. Um, and I have to <laughs> congratulate Edinburgh University and my faculty. We were a faculty of music and, uh, and my colleagues, um, David Kimball, who was Dean at that point, uh, um, showed great courage and I think vision in backing this as did the university. And so we took, uh, groups of, of students on placement. In fact, during term, um, at that time, uh, we'd managed to have a system uh, whereby we had an alternate, um, as it were, lecture semester and project weeks. Um, and uh, my colleagues, and we, we decided this was good because if you want to teach fugue, actually having your students for a whole week it's a great immersion and you get a lot done and it helps, you know, for yeah. very much in the future rather than kind of doing it dribbling week by week. Mm -hmm. and so, so we actually had a system whereby I could take, um, you know, my students away from Friday night at the end of one week uh, to Monday morning <laughs> and the week after the next, which, you know, gave us you know, the nine clear days uh, that was really worthwhile. So I did nine day residences with our students um, and then uh, that developed that went well um, and we did things like build a Pavarotti center goodness knows what that was our students 
and then um and then it came to the point where um we needed some kind of you know activity over the summer simply for the children to have something to do but also to bring together on our rather diverse teams it was there somewhere where we could bring together various projects now taking place in the rest could we bring people together and that's so we began these summer camps and that was tremendous for me because it then became a place i could a very safe place i could um bring um you know uh, students to have a soft landing in this kind of work because as it went from year to year and on and on there was always a critical mass of experience so it couldn't fail and it never has you know, it, you know it, it, whoever comes and some people you know uh, find this is really too much for them um uh, and so on and so forth um and some get carried away in extravagant love affairs which i can do nothing about <laughs> but, but, um, uh, uh, but only despair off usually. Um, uh, but there again, as long as, as long as people with the children are you know, behave, then that's all that is my business. Um, and um, and so we had we had this this otherwise wonderfully functional. I mean, a wonderful machine. I mean, an extraordinary human machine. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very proud of, and still exists. We haven't lost it. It's still there. No. Yes. Changed a little bit because I don't have, you know, I'm no longer teaching in Edinburgh. I don't have the young students, but we've professionalised a bit. It's, it's now it's older people, more professional people. Grown into itself. <laughs> but it's, it's a great place for learning and developing. Very joyful, and we do it in the most beautiful places on earth. Really. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so we have, we only have to complete with the cicadas making our music and, and the <laughs> uh, uh, clinking of wine bottles and that, that's yeah. uh, that, that's how. But it's wonderful that it's it's as life changing, Emily, and you said for you as it would have been for yes, for, to, you know, the children that you're talking about. Yes, I try. The first year I I came, so that must be in two thousand, and I think we were in Catcrania, so in the mountains outside Sarajevo and I, I'd never I, I was 18 and I'd moved from Aberdeen to Edinburgh and we went away and I, I think my family were very worried about me yes <laughs> and oh, where's she going and what's she going to be doing but it was just phenomenal there's a big barn at Kaikrinia and the children and young people with some with post-traumatic stress disorder and other additional support needs and their families came and I think it was a situation like I described about you Nigel earlier where it was a doing I, I could imagine you know you could imagine in a barn the noise echoes and it, it's noisy and then Nigel came in with a guitar and singing these songs and I'm not sure if it's also something about the Balkan music and Sevda music and the the whole experience was just completely moving. Uh, we also, I think, had the Petrovich Blasting Company. Oh, wow. was, was, did, that the, did we do the Roma? Uh, yes, this was uh, the Roma. Uh, yes. So nice. there was a part in the um, Roma opera that we put together. And I, can't, I think it was perhaps the wedding dance, Nigel. And everyone was in circles and dancing, you know, and this was at the end of the week. But young people who had, at the beginning of the week had... Uh, not come into the barn even or had not and just everybody there together it's such a um inclusive yes it, it's a wholly inclusive environment there's no 
hierarchy. There's no, everybody's there and everyone working at the centre and making music and everybody has their contribution. And an immersive I, I think experience that, as well, by the sound Yes. And I think that that has also, you know, and I know I've gone on to do my music therapy training and now working as a music therapist, but it's still, it's really shaped my practice and my way of working as well, these experiences. Very good. Mm. We're there again, lucky that um, uh, this thing evolved independently of mm. all of us. Yes. This phenomenon evolved, which was a way of people working together where nobody has to crack the web. Everybody knows what they have to do and gives 100% the whole time. And so it just works. And it's one of the reasons um, why, you know, because some people say to me, aren't you getting a bit long in tooth for all of this? Well, the answer is possibly. But on the other hand, I think it's too valuable a phenomenon to be lost. So I do hope that um, that I can, you know, we can find a way that, that it, it, it goes on. Um, uh, yes, it, it is. It is uh, uh, it, totally inclusive, and 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 I think the atmosphere of the camp helped as well. I remember, for example, that year we had some Roma children who were being quite standoffish, um, and why not? And it's absolutely correct because actually. Um, in the Balkans, generally, there is a discrimination against Roma. Um, and, and it's very sad and reprehensible. That's what it is. And so they were being standoffish and wanted you know, um, to do nothing. Uh, anyway, I remember taking them one time to, to, to see some animals. And I said, look, we, we, wouldn't you like to write a song about this? There's a lovely deer here, for example. And the, the boss, Roma boy, turned and said, I would rather vomit than write a song about a deer. And so I said, okay, that's right. Um, so we're not we're getting much progress there. But I, anyway, by chance, I was at that point going for a run at tea time. If you remember, I had that little ritual. Uh, and uh, and the, the boss guy, uh, uh, the boy, said, can, can I run with you? And I said, of course you can, for goodness sake, come on. And, and so we ran and we had a little chat and back down. I said, well, it's time for tea now. And so I sat with the, the Roma group for tea who were sitting separately. And, uh, and I said, so I know you're not going to write a song for us. I know that. Um, so relax. But if you were going to write a song, what would it be about? <laughs> and, and they said, the cat. Oh. I love that. Uh, uh, and then, of course, the next question. I know you're not going to write a song about a cat, but if you were to... <laughs> <laughs> By the end of that, we had a fantastic song, Total Integration, and they were totally in it. So what I'm trying to say yes. is it needs work at the edges too, but the camp, mm. the time and the context to be with the kids in different ways, yes. in different places, even if they're not drawn immediately into the activities, yes. you can get them in there at some point. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. We've been talking for an, for an hour already, so I'm afraid I will have to say thank you very much for, for giving your time up to talk to us. It's been fantastic to hear about everything that, that you do and, and your outlook on, on it all. Um, and I'm sure it's been lovely for Emmeline to connect and reminisce a little as well. Yes. Oh, it's always such a pleasure, Nigel, to speak to you. Likewise. Really Absolutely. Yes. Right. Let's hope we can all work together. I mean, I'm deadly serious about this. So if there's a, yes. a, a town in Scotland or a local authority inspired by the idea of being a local, an area-based pilot for trauma-informed yes. creative arts care, 
throughout the system, we're here to offer that. Uh, I am, and I'm, I'm, I know I could probably hijack you guys and monitor. <laughs> I'm sure you would manage to convince us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think it would take much convincing. Thank you. Uh, no, it, it's the, thank it's you. the benign, benign accident waiting to happen, and and also nothing happens by chance. So the fact we're talking today may well have mm -hmm. a step on some kind of path. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you. Thank you to Nigel for joining us and thank you for listening. I think if there's one message we can take away from today's podcast is that really the creative arts are going to be the bridge between education and children's health. See you next time. Mm -hmm.